episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. I'm your co-host, Mike One, co-host also Mike, to introduce a third co-host, uh, an annual co-host for this episode, as we are taking a big look at the big best picture category. This is our category review for best picture, and we have an annual returning guest to help us out, as always, Michael. Yeah, he's the editor-in-chief at awardsace.com. He is the chair of the Sunset Film Circle Awards. Go to his Twitter spaces, go to his new YouTube channel. He's Eric Weber. Eric, welcome back. It is a pleasure. It's been too long. I can't believe it's been almost, what, a year mm. since we were doing yeah. this. And, and then we had Nomadland win, and things have sort of returned to normal out here in Hollywood. So we almost, it's not a traditional award season as far as all the parties, but we got more of them than certainly last year. So I got a little better read this year than last year. It's been really cool to do the pre-show. Like we should have recorded the pre-show. Some it of that conversation. Happens. It always. <laughs> it always does. Yeah. We gotta. We gotta hold back next time. But all right. We. <laughs> we got. Maybe I was like, but I can do it again. I, I used to be, I used to be a TV news anchor, so I have some ability right. to redo, take two, take three, take four. So yeah, we can still do it. I promise we'll sound reasonably organic. <laughs> we, we do got some cool stuff planned. We're going to talk about Best Picture. We're going to get into some box office, which you've just been doing a terrific job covering mm. and pep talking. You've been my therapy, my box office therapy over the last few months between the Twitter Spaces you know re-listening to those uh or the uh the new youtube channel with all the batman coverage you've been doing with the x stuff i'm just really hyped about uh going to the movies again listening to that channel man so congratulations on that no thank you and, and you know i'm sure you guys feel the same way i do theatrical is holy it's there are cathedrals and the fact that we have them returning is something that some people never saw happening so we can only hope that that continues that's the that's the hope that i have going forward amen yeah and we were hoping that a couple of the blockbusters that brought back theatrical more than and maybe accelerated the the comeback of theatrical a little bit would have gotten into this 10 we kind of lost hope towards the end of the best picture process heading towards february 8th but i am wondering how you viewed this 10 i mean i guess you know rewind uh, uh, about a month ago and who do you think were the 11th and 12th place best picture noms i mean how close do you think no time to die and spider-man how close were they to the being the ricardos and the house of gucci tick tick boom lost daughter whatever nexus uh, was in there for you those are all the films that i had next up I mean, I didn't think Nightmare Alley was getting in. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm very happy. I'm a massive fan of that film. In fact, I've sent numerous tweets saying, I think down the road we're going to severely, you know, under underappreciate this film. And I think that the fact that it gets a Best Picture nomination is the win for that film and for Searchlight. There's no chance it's winning Best Picture. But that made me really happy. But all those films that were vying for that last spot, right, that 10th spot, I didn't think Drive My Car was getting in. I didn't think Janus Films had enough to push that in, even though it had a surge at the end. It won all kinds of critics awards. I didn't think it was going to go there. I thought we'd end up with Tick, Tick, Boom. Or House of Gucci on the, on the lower side of that, 
But, you know, even Lost Daughter, there were a number of films that I thought could have been in that 10th position. But to see at least Nightmare Alley made me super happy. Drive My Car is a huge success, obviously, as you know, to get in there for this studio because Neon with Parasite, different situation. Neon is, you know, has more credibility and mm -hmm. more cachet as a studio than Janice. But Janice managed to get it done with Drive My Car. Do I think it's going to win? No, I have it in the 10th spot. Um, you know, mm -hmm. either that or Nightmare Alley. They're so far back there. But the fact that it even got a nomination, again, is the win. And you see it in numerous categories here. So that is a huge win for that studio. And all that does is prop them up for whatever they come down that, you know, Pike next. They'll, they have that cachet of being sure. an Oscar studio. Got one, Mike, or you want to? I, I do have one. I didn't know if you were going to jump in, Mike. But it, so I guess just to kind of get a lay of the landscape in your mind and how it goes. Obviously, on your on awards ace, you have Power of the Dog as the leader. You have those uh, what six following right behind it, and then Nightmare Alley and Drive My Car. You have listed as further back. But okay, we're going to dive into Power of the Dog and the specifics of it in a second. But in your mm -hmm. mind right now. All right, you said if Nightmare Alley wins, you'd be shocked at Drive My Car. You don't think that really, either of those two really have a chance. How many movies in this 10 right now do you think have a legitimate chance outside of Power of the Dog right now as we speak? Okay, I, okay let's go through what does have a shot. For sure, Power of the Dog is the favorite right now. It's got DGA, BAFTA, Critics' Choice, Golden Globes, PGA this weekend. We're going to find out. That'll be really interesting reveal when we get that. Uh, Belfast, I have at number two. Uh, it's it's going to do well on the preferential ballot. And we'll talk more about that as we continue here. But, you know, when you're going to rank your films one through 10, Belfast is very likely going to be near the top. It might not be number one, but it's going to be in one of those top, you know, three, four, five. I, I doubt it's going to be six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Coda is a film that is surging. Apple knows it has a shot. It has the SAG mm -hmm. win. That is huge, as we know. We saw what Parasite did with that. Don't Look Up is still sitting there. I feel like that's a film that a lot of people really like in this town. I know Film Twitter doesn't love it, mm -hmm. but the average person that I speak to out here, the voters like it. And King Richard. Uh, if, for, if King Richard wins Best Picture, that will honestly make me the happiest. I love that film. I feel like that film could have been a winner. It still mm -hmm. can, but Same I feel here. like that release date, didn't really do it any favors, right? It was very early. They did that day-date HBO Max in yeah. theaters, same time, simultaneous. That dented the box office. And then once you have that, you have the, you know, the script for an underperforming film and all this crap that drops it. But I feel like King Richard is a film that's going to do really well in a preferential ballot. So I think that's there as well. And then you still have Dune and you have West Side Story. I think you have all these films really there and mm -hmm. the preferential ballot is what's going to make this so interesting going into this voting that starts, you know, tomorrow and will run for the next several days. And then we're going to get the read. But the preferential ballot is such a key component of this. It changes the whole landscape of what we're talking about. And that's where, exactly where I want to go here, because I'm fascinated by how the preferential ballot may affect this race. I mean, we're going to have uh, people ranking their best pictures and we're going to have ballots being reallocated essentially after the knockout round. So let's let's go with your board. Let's say drive my car gets gets knocked out. We we have those votes going to the number two. Who do you think most drive my car voters are picking? Are they picking Power of the Dog? Like I said to Mike before we called you, are they picking something else? I mean, you can kind of go down your list that way. So yeah, what what do you think of the like domino effect of this preferential ballot? And is it that much different than kind of the, the you know the, I'm sure the most 
number ones win, or I guess they're just picking one on normal ballots uh, on all the other shows up till now. Well, you know, it's interesting. So we do Sunset Circle is uh, our new film critics group out here in Los Angeles. There's only mm. nine of us right now. Very small, but we did a preferential ballot. So so how we did it was really you just ranked it one through ten, and then I assigned points. If you had a number one, then you had ten points, nine going you know backwards. So I added all the points up. This is different. The Oscars work preferential ballot, but what they do is that first round, you take all of your first place votes and you stack them up. So let's say Power of the Dog had – let's just use small numbers 50 and let's mm -hmm. say coda had 60 and uh belfast had uh 55 you you take all those and you stack them up and you have obviously your piles but then the the place the the film in the last place which in right. my estimation would probably be nightmare alley okay let's okay. just say it's nightmare alley okay even though i do have drive my car there too but i'm gonna go with nightmare alley as my pick if you look at a nightmare alley uh and i think even drive my car Either one of those films, you're looking at a very cinephilic film, right? Um, it's not a comedy. It is a dead series. <laughs> it's a drama. Both of these films um, yeah. and, and, you know, mysterious films, all these things, they're very similar. So if you look at that, for me, I would put that in Power of the Dog, right? That was what I would think you'd have as your number two. Hmm. So if Nightmare Alley or Drive My Car ends up in that 10 spot for that first round, then you take all those number two votes and let's assume it's Power of the Dog. Then you take all of those votes and you stick them on top of Power of the Dog. And so that's the interesting thing here that we the fascinating part is we don't know what that number two pick is for some of these people on some of these smaller films. That's where it gets to be. Mm. You're in the weeds. You have no idea uh, where it's going to go. But I would say a film like Power of the Dog would do well. Dune, because that's a cinephilic film, even though it is not quite as as, uh, you know, as cinephilic mm -hmm. as as Power of the Dog or Drive My Car. It has the sci-fi sci sci elements and it has those things that it can work with. But ultimately, I think that those votes are probably going to go Power of the Dog. Dune is another one. And then maybe if you're into filmmaking, you probably would go with West Side Story. You're not going to go with Coda there because Coda as a film, and we can talk about this longer too, is not from a filmmaking perspective – yeah. It's very flat. Okay, it is it is you know TV movie of the week direction, and if that's the case, then if you're into direction, then that's not going to be there. And Nightmare Alley obviously is is all about direction to me, and, and Power of the Dog is so well directed as well. So you're going to have something like that. So Code is not going to be there. Um, I would think it would be something more along the lines of a true filmmaker's film. Mm -hmm. And Coda Makes just sense. I mean Coda, you, you brought brought that up. It's got a big day ahead of it this Saturday at the PGAs. I have kind of a two-part mm -hmm. question regarding the PGAs. We'll start with Coda. One, is the PGAs kind of a must-win for Coda? Or, if I mean, if Power of the Dog does win at the PGA Saturday, can that will that, like, kind of close your mind off to anything else having a shot? And follow-up for that, as far as you know how the Academy members that you know vote, do you find most of them wait to find out all uh, as many precursors as they can? Like, are, are there going to be Academy members that you know of that are going to specifically wait to see how the PGAs roll out before they send in their ballots as voting for the Oscars, I think, closes on Tuesday? Uh, or, or do they want to be predictive and wait? Because a big criticism of something like the Critics' Choice this year, even though the schedule was mm -hmm. all jumbled, a big criticism of the Critics' mm -hmm. Choice was, well, they're just trying to predict the Oscars. So they don't really think Jessica Chastain was the best performance that they want to, they think the Oscars going to go to Jessica Chastain. So how does how is CODA going to do in your mind on Saturday? How important is Saturday for Coda, and also how does the Academy in general treat what's going to happen Saturday overall for their balloting purposes? Well, PGA, as you guys know, that's that's a huge producers. So many, obviously, we SAG is the number one thing because SAG actors. That mm -hmm. is the main group of voters in the Academy. But producers are also a massive group. 
bigger than directors. So you have PGA here sitting here, and if Power of the Dog wins PGA, let's just start with that, then you have it winning DGA, BAFTA, Critics' Choice, Golden Globe, and PGA. That is really all five, right? That is five yeah. for five. And at that point, it has to be your number one Oscars pick. Even without it, it's mm. sitting with four of the five precursors. If mm -hmm. Coda gets PGA, though, that is obviously massive because we just talked about how important SAG is. The voters of the Academy, a large portion of them are actors. Therefore, you have SAG win with that. Then you have producers, this, probably the second largest group of people in the Academy. That's a win. So that would mean Coda would be right there. But I still have Coda in the three spot. I still have Belfast ahead of it. I don't know. Listen, Belfast is one of those films that we all know. Uh, I don't know many people that have it at number one, but mm -hmm. everybody I talk to likes it. Okay, it likes it at a level that they, you know, in their top three or four. Uh, and Coda is very similar as well. But again, I think the thing for Belfast for me is if we're awarding film and we're talking about filmmaking, I'm going to pick Belfast over Coda just for the pure technicality of it. So so right now, if Power of the Dog wins PGA, I think that's it. It's over. Put it to bed. But if Coda wins, yes, it's there. If Belfast somehow surges ahead and wins. But those are the three I'd look at. If King Richard pulls the upset, then hooray. I'd be obviously, again, the most happy I could be because that's the film I really would love to see win. But it is going to be really fascinating to see what happens with PGA uh, this weekend because it will be kind of the final arbiter of what the, what the answer is going to be, what the winning best picture will be. But do you find that people, that the Academy members that you know of will do in fact wait? Like, do they, do they, I, I guess this is an unfair question, but you have more experience with this than, than we do, obviously, on the other coast. But do they get, do you find there's an impetus to get more wrapped up in being predictive when people fill out their ballots for the Oscars? Or do they care truly about just voting for what they see as the best of the year? Every voter I've ever spoke to in the Academy is very much individual. They don't really think about, they, they love film just like we do, only they actually have a vote in this process. It's kind of like me when I go to the Critics' Choice. I had my ballot in front of me, and have I been to all kinds of award parties? Yes. I'm going to a couple tonight. But ultimately, none of those played a role in determining my vote. I went with what I loved. And every Academy of Voter that I've ever spoken to tells me the same story. They fall in love with a film or performance or whatever it is that we're voting on. And that is their choice. They're not going to be swayed as much as, as a party, even though the studios think that they're making some kind of major change, drastic change when you invite them there. And don't get me wrong, open bars are fantastic. I will go to them all the time, <laughs> especially with the price of vodka tonic. Damn right. We, we talked about that pre-show, right? <laughs> so you give me a vodka tonic, I'll come to your party. That doesn't mean I'm going to vote for your movie, though, right? So I get that all the time. People say, well, look, they sent you a box or they did this and they, they, they took you to dinner, which that's not true, but they give us drinks. But the point of it is, is that ultimately, I hope that doesn't influence your vote. There's probably a few. Don't get me wrong. Of course, there's going to be a few. But in general, I feel like the average voter really is passionate about what they love and they're going to vote for the things they believe in with their heart and with their soul and that's what i did when i voted for critics choice the film i voted for for critics choice best picture straight up dune that is mm -hmm. the number one movie on my board okay i love the film whether it's a first second third fourth film i don't give a crap the film itself as a filmmaking spectacle is the best thing that i saw this year that was my vote and i feel like that's the way academy voters will proceed with their ballots as well
I like that because I'm kind of that way as as well, and I definitely know my co-host here. Yeah, he's a grudge holder, so Very there's much. a there's a there's a <laughs> double-edged sword aspect to this passion, and that's what I'm wondering about with the power of the dog because we've heard pundits for a, a little bit now talk about how some people really despise that movie, and and this is beside the Sam Elliotts. There's there's people out there uh, that are just on the movie for being boring or whatever. I disagree with them. I think at the at the worst case you're like in a b plus a minus territory and you should just go nuts over the filmmaking of it the score and the production values but that's fine if they really hate the film or they don't want it there as their best picture winner is there a chance that they may manipulate their ballots and whether they tell you or not i i would wonder about them putting power of the dog 10th now again you got your bad apples you got your jerks or whatever but there's also like a netflix bias that you wonder if that's lingering or if that's gone has it evaporated yet necessarily so there's the whole question of the netflix of it all but do you think like there's this power of the dog backlash i mean heavy lies the head that wears the crown it is the front runner it is an obvious front runner after last weekend is there any chance for that kind of backlash well i think let's start with netflix i you know a few years ago when we had roma they were coming on as an award studio. People were like Netflix, that's the streamer, or even before that, the DVD shipper. And mm. and that's very clearly what they are not anymore. You know, I've been to so many, they've really gone, listen, this is the most expensive Oscars campaign ever that wow. they have run for not just Power of the Dog, all of their films, Tick, Tick, Boom, Mitchell's Machines, um, Lost Daughter. They've done so many events for all of their films um, that – I feel like Power of the Dog is very clearly the one they know that they want for Best Picture. I've had, you know, off the record conversations with people uh, about that mm-hmm. film from from all kinds of different studios. And they will they'll say the same thing that this is they've spent a fortune on this. They expect this to happen. Netflix expects it. And I and I say this, that, that the whole, you know, bias against them and them not being uh, a theatrical you know distributor. I wish that changed. Trust me, I do. But I feel like that doesn't matter as much now. We have moved on from the Roma days of Netflix. We are in a whole new land here with this studio. They are taken very seriously. I was at the Netflix after party the other night at the Critics' Choice. It is filled with everybody who wants to work with Netflix. I mean, this place was crawling with every single celebrity you can imagine in Hollywood because they know they want to go make films or shows with netflix they have the money to do it and that's what they're doing here at power of the dog they're throwing everything here i went to an event last thursday for the live score johnny greenwood score live they stripped it out of the film right and they show mm-hmm. the film and then the orchestra plays it live during the season it's so a cool. what an amazing event no, it, it really is i went to do one for those at parasite and we know what happened with that. These are the kind of events, that live score, that mm-hmm. connects you to a film almost spiritually, right? So I'm sitting there, and I like Power of the Dog more than – I would say I'm on definitely on the upper side of Power of the Dog compared to, let's say, the average person who is just kind of eh, on the film. Uh, I feel like for me, when I saw it the second time with the live score – I see everything that that film really is, the true power of the film. And and I think those are the kind of events that if this wins, that puts you over. That's the last thing it needed. And I feel like we're there with this. So Netflix has removed the stigma of them being this streamer, and they are held in very high regard by people out here. So I don't think that's going to be the issue. 
Now, yeah. if you want to go to the issue of people like we saw with Sam and, you know, trashing the film, they don't like it. They don't like it. it's not a traditional Western, all those things. I get it. That's a whole different you know issue that yeah. I understand. I think obviously Jane, what happened with her at Critics Choice with mm-hmm. the Williams sisters, that was not a great situation. I am certain that Netflix was not happy about that. They're mm-hmm. like, we have this in the bag. And then, oh, God, I yeah. have to deal with this. So that's not they did not want that going into this. But all said, I think we still are looking at a film that Netflix expects to win Best Picture. Have you heard of any backlash on on your end about that being out there in in La La Land? Do you I mean, do you think there's going to be any kind of serious backlash for either the the feud that's going on between Campion and Elliot or what, uh, like you just said, how Jane Campion was uh, seen on national TV on the Critics' Choice stage? That was worse. I think that was that was not good. I agree um, with you. You know, it just wasn't. And and it's it's a it's just man, it's it's a lesson in life when you are high on your horse. And Jane was. She's winning everything, right? It's like she's given a million speeches. She probably had a, a few glasses of wine. Mm-hmm. She's up there. We've all been there. And it's just like, don't do it. Just stop. Mm. Walk to the edge. Like I said, yeah. I used to do live television. I have to know where that line is. And she just crossed it. Said something she thought thought was funny. And it wasn't. And obviously, uh, I saw Venus, uh, in fact, at the uh, at the Netflix party afterwards. Uh, and that was right after. I think they was starting to build. The story hadn't quite gotten there right. yet on Sunday night. And then by Monday morning, it was. She was apologizing. Netflix knew it. They got in front of it. I think that will have an effect on it. Do I still think she wins director? Yes. But it makes it a little more interesting. Definitely hmm. Netflix they literally i can't even imagine the reaction they're like oh my we have to get in front of this like so fast and they did they look at that monday morning they're like everywhere that was jane jane you know says apologizes to the williams sisters and that's uh, the worst timing worst timing ever um i still think it ends up i don't think it's going to destroy the film but it's not good i mean like i said worst timing ever it played horribly on on the on the live uh the live feed on tv it was like one of those things where right away it's like oh wow did you really right away and then there was an instant backlash but that's kind of the evolution and how we view award shows too and you just talked about the evolution of how netflix has been perceived in the industry another thing that's been evolving over the last couple of years that we've been talking to you is the academy there's obviously been this initiative uh, effort to get more diverse to get younger and now we read all these articles all the time about how you know the tiktok wing of the academy is something that's going to come into play because there are tiktokers who are now being signed to sag aftra and etc etc i'm just curious you being a professional in this in this field for as long as you have do you see the voting from the academy evolving at all do you still think this is like a quote-unquote an old man's game or do you think there is more of a this rush or motivation for younger a younger swath of the academy to actually get excited about voting for the oscars it's coming i don't think it's here yet Uh, i don't and and that's why you know when i saw west side story the first thing i said was this is going to work well with old hollywood which Mm. means the older voters in the Academy, obviously. And mm-hmm. it's sitting here as a film. I'm not, listen, I love West Side Story, the, the remake, really only for, for really for two reasons. One, the editing, the editing in this film. Yeah. The fact that it's not nominated is insanity to me, but well, cinematography yeah. as well. Yeah. Right. I mean, you know, it should because you just have to watch. You watch enough films, you know, when you see editing that is superlative. I mean, it's literally just the, one of the best edited films of the year, and Critics' Choice got that right. They, 
gave it to that. Um, but, you know, West Side Story is a film that's going to appeal to an older audience. I mean, even though you have the younger people in the film, I still feel like they don't want to watch West Side Story. You know, they just don't have interest in that. And I feel like Power of the Dog is that way, too. But we're not there yet. We still are in an older academy. We are. We're going to get there very soon. We're getting there very quickly. But I feel like there isn't a film here, too. When you look at these films, top to bottom, there's not a young, hip film. Right. I guess it would be Don't Look Up, right? That'd be the closest. <laughs> yeah, right? I would agree It'd with you. It'd be the closest thing. You got Ariana Grande, and, and you, you got all that. And so, I mean, there's that. There's that. But other than that, you know, Coda's not really a young person film. It's closer, but it's still not. Belfast isn't. Um, you know, King Richard is maybe the closest, but it wasn't a huge hit. So really, nothing here stands out to me as the TikTok crowd, thank God. But they are bringing <laughs> more of these people in, right? More and more of these people. You're like, I, even when I go to these events now, I see some of these people like, where did they come from? You know, what is <laughs> they? It's a whole different universe now with some of these awards voters. And uh, it's going to change over the years. But I still think we're in the old school Hollywood mode, which makes me, you know, again, fall back to Power of the Dog and West Side Story. You're actually talking to, not me. But you're talking to someone on the other line here who thinks he's part of the TikTok crowd. No, wow. Well, then, How dare no, but you, this, sir? But this is what's really weird. This is what's really weird, Eric. He, he also thinks, and, and he also just watches like network TV. So before, Mike, you watch Murder, She Wrote, you like watch 17 TikToks. I don't, I don't even know how this where, works. I don't want anyone out here Dan, listening, present company uh, included, to think I'm dancing in front of my iPhone any day now. That's not what's happening. <laughs> I have the app TikTok as far as that goes. <laughs> that's what we we'll start doing but break your balls in front of our guests from now on that that'll be the only way i'll get through these award seasons with you mike but no that uh, all right i wonder if this kind of c- comes together with uh, of, of all things the screenplay categories eric because we have like all of these oscar pundit nerds there and i'm one of them i'm no, obviously <laughs> look we are both if we geek out about adapted screenplay and, and clayton davis god love him we're, we're fans and he he actually put out this stat that turned my brain or these two stats these conflicting stats that turn my brain into mush because essentially what's going on is coda has to win adapted screenplay if it wants to win but that's not the that's not the surprise. We get that. Coda's probably got to got to win that, and it's got to run the table. It's got to win WGA. It's got to win Adapted Screenplay. It's got to win PGA. We know that if Coda's going to win this thing. Uh, otherwise, we're all, all our heads are going to explode. But what's really weird about Clayton's stat is Power of the Dog probably has to win Adapted Screenplay. If the Power of the Dog is not going to surprise, and it can. It can surprise an original score. It can surprise in cinematography, but that might not be a surprise for much longer. Uh, Ari Wegner won uh, at the Critics' Choice, and she may win she may win at the American Society of Cinematographers. So again, I like to geek out over this stuff and do the punditry thing here. But Power of the Dog... It's it's only a favorite in Las Vegas right now in three categories, and one of them's adapted screenplay. I'm wondering if you know the share the love, maybe younger or just maybe more diverse Academy wants to spread the love, and we've seen that over the years now. This is a long question. I'm sorry, but we've seen that the last few years, especially Nomadland won three. I mean, most of these films of the last decade won three or four. You got to go back all the way to 2011 when the artist won five and way back to, you know, the uh, slum dog millionaires eight in 2008. So 
I'm wondering if this is a perfect spot in adapted screenplay where the lost daughter gets some love. Like you said, Netflix campaigning the shit out of it. Or, you know, Sean Heater wins here and Coda gets some double love because we love Coda. We want Coda celebrated on the night. Or if the power of the dog, this is where the shower comes in and it starts to really pick momentum up because we always see the best picture winners typically get a surprise. Green Book takes screenplay or Parasite wins director when in Vegas, you know, is losing money hand over fist in those those areas. So how do you see how do you see this? this pundit conundrum right now where if the lost daughter wins adapted screenplay in the middle of the 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 oscars clayton's and mine's and your heads are going to explode well you you look at even things like lost daughter start with that okay so it won the usc scripter as you know that goes to the Mm -hmm. best adapted screenplay for usc and and that has a tradition long time of of connecting with oscar and so you have it sitting there. I still have it as the number three. I've got Power of the Dog one. I've got Coda two, Lost Daughter three, and then Dune four, and then all the way back is Drive My Car. But mm-hmm. listen, even Drive My Car, the fact that it got a nomination, again, kudos to Janice, Janice Films for getting that done. But I think when you look at Coda, it's got the BAFTA, right? And then you have Power of the Dog winning Critics' Choice. So we the same night we had that split. It's so close, right? We know that. This is so close between those three films. I really think it's between Power of the Dog and Coda. But even with Lost Daughter in there, you're talking about a three-horse race. And it's it's really will, I think, have when – you, when this comes down, we're all going to naturally want to jump on that's what's going to win Best Picture. I don't mm. think that that necessarily is tied together as much as I feel like we're almost in this new era of people that just – the stats are going to start changing. I feel like yeah. you know, preferential ballot for sure, right? Preferential ballot changes things tremendously. But I feel like just because one thing happens doesn't mean the other does always. Uh, that said, when it happens, if Coda wins, we're all going to assume it's going to win, but then it will end up being Power of the Dog. So I don't know. I don't, I'm don't. i not going to put that much into whatever wins adapted is absolutely going to win Best Picture. But don't get me wrong. If Coda wins, then, of course, we're all going to be like really locked in on Best Picture. What was it that won? because then it will will be between those two films. Well, what about the other side of that? Let's say, I mean, let's say Saturday comes, the PGA comes, Power of the Dog mm-hmm. does win, as is expected at this point anyway, and it does have those five wins on its resume, and it does seem like it's Power of the Dog, and it's going to be a, a no-doubter. And I'm just wondering, in a year like this, I feel like there's been this a little bit of fatigue setting in for people who do this every day, like us and you and everyone on film Twitter, or the, all the podcasts and all the articles and whatnot. I want to know what keeps you excited. I mean, when you have a year like last year where Nomadland seemed pretty entrenched as a wire-to-wire frontrunner and ended up winning, like this year where Power of the Dog seems to be following that same path, it looks like it's going to be a wire-to-wire winner and probably will on Oscar Sunday. What keeps you excited about the Best Picture category if it does seem like it's something that's this inevitable coronation eventually? Watching, hopefully, that King Richard sneaks in. I mean, that that's what I hope for. Is mm. you? We all have our favorites. I mean, for me, it's King Richard and Dune. Those are my two. I even like Don't Look Up way more than most people. Mm-hmm. I would be. I would love that for the meltdown, right, guys? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> because because I'm like, listen, Don't Look Up is far more entertaining and for me than Vice. And, and the fact that I always say that if you're saying you don't like Don't Look Up but you like Vice, you got those backward, man. We got to get that. On, you got to get you on the right side of history. But but. There are many people who do believe that, but I would love Don't Look Up to win for that very reason, just to see heads explode. But King Richard Dune, though seeing something like that pop up, um, I still think, again, preferential ballot makes it 
very interesting and exciting in that we really don't know because of the way they stack the votes and they move everything around, you know, the bottom, the bottom vote getter, number two slides up to number one. It's so crazy. I would love to be in the room, right? Just mm-hmm. sit there and watch them stack yeah. these things up. I mean, I can't even, I wish they, I really wish they would just reveal the actual Wouldn't that be a way for the Oscars to like, to get people in? Oh, I mean, they're so worried about yes. ratings. Wouldn't revealing the voting help in that regard? Oh my God, it would be, I would love it. And, and I, you know, I had no problem when we even did sunset circle, I had everything down. I don't know if I ever sent it out, but I literally could tell you that Belfast was number two by literally three points. I mean, it was so close. Ugh. So it's just, it's amazing how that, how that works. Right. So let's say power the dog wins. And then literally someone from, um, price waterhouse. Is that right? Who are the, who are the people that do it? I believe price it's price waterhouse. waterhouse. I believe so. Okay. So one of them come on, right. And we know obviously what happened a few years ago. Uh, they're still employed is shocking, but they come out and they say, by the way, power the dog won by literally two votes or percentage of vote, whatever that number is. I don't know how they even calculate preferential, but the point is, is yes, I agree. We need to do that. It makes it more interesting. I also like the fact that we are kicking this around at an awards party and someone actually tweeted it out because I talked about it on his spaces. So I want to make sure that everybody knows that it started on my spaces. We said at the top of the show, the Oscars should have the 10 films. They whack five right off the bat. Right off the bat, these are the films that are going home, like nice. you know, Miss America or Miss USA. <laughs> One, two, three, great. four, five. Y- y- right? And then yeah. we only have five to deal with. And and maybe one of them some shocking film, like Drive My Car. And the top mm. five, everyone's like, what? In the top five? <laughs> I mean, those are little things. And they wonder, how do you get viewers? That's how. That's how. And, and you know, traditions, and I understand this year, believe me, cutting all the stuff, I'm not a fan of. I think they really just need to make those speeches shorter. They just need to say, listen, you've got two minutes on the clock. I said, I'll go do it. I'll stand on the stage. <laughs> I have no problem being hated, okay? You guys know that. I have no problem. Come after me, okay? Come after me. I'm a man. I'm 40. But here's the thing. As, as I sit there on, on the stage, and I literally go, I, I whisper over and say, guys, you guys have two and a half minutes, okay? And, and then literally the mic's cut. It does doesn't even matter what happens and i literally in between say crowd listen we told them there's two and a half minutes if they go past that that's on them please do not boo okay we told them two and a half minutes and and they got it and they didn't use it properly so they are the ones to blame not me not the shot clock guy <laughs> so we need that that's what we need then get them all on put them on i think the shorts can be removed i've said that for years right the shorts can go you know on the side in the side break and before the show but everything else needs to be shown we just need to make sure those speeches are cut down and they cut the mic sorry we got to cut the mic yeah i don't know how it's gonna play i just know film twitter is a blaze right now they're furious and uh you know it is a bummer because you know i'm I'm a little mixed because mike and i have been complaining about bad speeches forever and we've also been you know we've also been thrilled when somebody delivers a great speech even from like a short film like last year we saw you know the, those guys from two distant strangers give an awesome speech mm-hmm. and this year at the baftas uh the black cop uh filmmakers gave a, a speech that almost made me cry and i'm well all right i'm an easy cry but look at <laughs> i i'm an emotional guy i'm italian i'm it's, it's what so I, much. It's, I feel that. Yeah. I I love those speeches. That's what you want to watch an award show. That's like reality TV uh, to, to to the max. This year, I, I am worried about the the overall broadcast. And I, maybe I'll just I'll spin this off into a question. What do you think? Like to put your uh, predictive hat on here. You do it all year. What do you think is going to be like the ratings this year? Do you think it gets to fifteen? Does it get back closer to twenty? Uh, what What do you think is going to be the the aftermath of how they handle the broadcast? 
easy answer is better than last year. Okay, let's just start with that. Mm-hmm. Last year, we know that whole thing down at Union Station didn't work. The broadcast was just no fun to watch. I ho- they know that this year. They that's why they brought the comedians. We have to have a fun host. And w- do I wish it were Ricky Gervais? Yes, I think that would have been the perfect person for this. But instead, we're obviously going to get people that know how to have a good time. And I think that that's key. People need to have fun watching the award show. You got to keep it moving too, right? Got to keep it moving. And I think that's that's the challenge for the Academy is to – they're trying to figure out how to keep the show moving, and they figured their way is just to not give out these trophies on air. I say, no, put them on. Just make sure that, that, that literally there's a clock, and they can see it. And it's just like, you know, like you're on the court at NBA. There's your shot clock, and it goes to zero, <laughs> and then mics out. That's it. And unfortunately, but that's because you have to keep the show moving. And I think Film Twitter doesn't understand. Not everybody wants to th- sit through a five-hour you know, Academy Awards. Okay. I think you want a three hour and it's not even that. What was last year? It's always over. It always goes over. Mm-hmm. So really, I, for me, I want a three hour thing just in and out. I went to the Hollywood Critic Awards and I love Scott Menzel. We were boys. We were like brothers, but mm-hmm. I even told him his show went a little long and he wasn't even televised. And I think the, the key is, is you just don't want to make people feel like they are overstaying their welcome. They just want to make it like almost end it early and they want more rather mm. than too much. And I think that's the academy they're struggling with. So hopefully they can get it tighter, make the show more entertaining and keep it moving. And we get a number obviously better than last year. I don't, I don't think we're ever going to see numbers like we did in the past because there's just too much stuff out there. Too many things taking people's attention, right? You can get on YouTube, you can go listen to a spaces, you can get on Hulu, Netflix, Amazon, Apple, anything you want to do. There's a million things. The days of how we grew up as kids, right? Watching the Oscars with only three channels, eventually a fourth, <laughs> you know, and, P- and PBS so far. That's it. We didn't have a choice. Now it's not like that. So I think they're never going to get to that number again. They just want to get back to better than they got last year. They will, but I just don't know if we're ever going to get pop a number that's that big, short of getting all kinds of really populous films in there. Why have they been so, the Academy that is, why have they been so hesitant to embrace streaming? Like, like, why isn't, I understand contractual stuff aside, but like Disney Plus exists. There has to be a way in which they can, they have something in-house or built in already to have their Oscar streaming or have the, the red carpet streaming or have something streaming exclusive to try to, if they do care so desperately about this 18 to 34 demographic, like you just said, mm-hmm. they're not watching traditional cable, that demographic. No, they're no, well. Listen, I don't even know what they're watching. Like, see TikTok. I don't even understand. Right. I, no, I don't. Right. I don't. I, I barely understand YouTube, and I'm on there. I mean, it's just I, I, I get that it's all. Everything's on demand now, right? Everybody wants it now. I mean, look at the podcast we're doing here. They're gonna w- listen to it when they want to listen to it. That's mm-hmm. the world we live in, and the Oscars are still in that. We're live. You know, East Coast, eight to eleven thirty or longer, and and that's that's old school. And I think the the young people are like, no, I'm gonna watch it whenever I want to watch it. I'm gonna hit play when I want to hit play, and that's the challenge. I mean, getting through to that that generation is just a whole different mindset. Speaking of challenges and getting the the next generation back in it, I look, I'm I'm so torn because I'm very optimistic about the industry in the sense that I think more people are watching more movies than ever. I think you've you've engaged the world audience and the world's audience is watching the rest of the world's films and Netflix and all of these outreaches have have done it and I think the pandemic made movie watchers of people that probably weren't watching as many movies they're just watching at home and that's a huge worry right now 
in terms of theatrical. And I and Mike and I, we've done some crass studies on subscriber numbers going bonkers and what that means in terms of not just tens of millions hundreds of millions but billions of dollars for these studios that have got to be making money hand over fist but there is a shift from theatrical and that is terrifying to us because we all grew up with the local theater next door and the the oscars box office and the award season box office does play at the specialty it does play with the platform release and i'm terrified that those days are in the rearview mirror now so i i did a bit of a study and we talked about it in the pre-show where i tabulated the the best picture nominees box offices and their budgets of the last eight years six years before the pandemic two years of the pandemic and essentially i got some scary numbers and i got they're not surprising but we i mean in terms of the uh box office grosses of the six years before the pandemic it averaged out to six times a multiplier of six times the production budgets these movies were making big bucks and dollars of revenue for every one dollar of production in other words was the average there and the last two years, and we expected this, we expected uh, it, to, it to fall off a cliff, especially with day and date, especially with PVOD, especially with movies going directly to screen, streaming and the eligibility windows changing. We expected all this, but 2020, it was 0.88. So we had six versus 0.88. They're making less than their budgets back. And then this last year, it was 1.1. So essentially 0.9, 0.8. 1.1 it it averages out over the last two years the movies making back their production budget so where are they making their money they're making their money on streaming right now with those subscriber numbers that have gone bonkers hbo max they had 30 something million before the pandemic and they're up to like 80 or are they up to 90 now last i checked they were 76 but i'm guessing they're closer to 85 90 and a big part of that was putting the slate on there unfortunately which ripped our hearts out but it worked. It effing worked, damn it. And th- you can't argue it's seven t- ten, even if it's $10 a month or $17 a month, times 40, 50 million. That's a monthly gross. That's a huge number. So how, like, it's it's it boggles my mind because you look at, like, H- I'll stake with Warner Brothers. HBO Mac, like, they're putting on, they're putting on uh, Father of the Bride 3. They're not putting their big movie slate back to hbo max they're doing the game of thrones show they're doing a lot of series but the original movies aren't necessarily oscar fodder like it's been with king richard all the way back to judas and the black messiah all the way back to the little things during the pandemic we are now looking at a a confusing landscape and i'm wondering if you could please give us a box office pep pep talk like i like i literally been listening to you for a while now with it's been therapeutic and your twitter spaces i usually can't listen live but i'm i'm listening afterwards and you've talked me off a ledge many a time so please do that for mike and i right now with this award season box office and these numbers in particular first thing you got to do is you have to have it be theatrical only it has to be an exclusive to theaters if you Mm -hmm. don't have that component you're asking for trouble because the average person is going to watch at home on the streaming service they don't care enough 
to drive down to the multiplex and go in and pay to see the movie. I still listen. I have A-list. AMC A-list is the best investment I have made in the past numerous years. It is $24 Mm -hmm. a month, and you can go three movies a week. So you can see 12 movies for $24. One movie now out here in L.A. is like 20. So you're paying 24 for 12. So it is the best. But but. Most people don't want to do that. They want to watch at home. I mean, look what happened with Warner Brothers. Put all those films at home day and date last year. Every single one of them suffered theatrically because, again, when you give them the option to watch at home, they're going to take it. And then you look at No Way Home. Sony's like, we're going to put Spider-Man only in theaters. And it's mm-hmm. it, it just killed it because you have to go. And that was in the middle of Omicron, right? That was in the mm-hmm. middle of everybody going, I don't know if you should go outside, this and that. And and that was one of the things that got us out of that was No Way Home because you couldn't have this you know, aura of everyone's living in fear and then Spider-Man – you know, making record box office. It, the, the two narratives can't exist in the same world. So that was one of the huge things that No Way Home did outside of making all that money is it brought people back into the marketplace and over some fears to go back to a movie theater. And I think that's what you have to have. Again, you have to have those movies be theatrical exclusives like this weekend X, which mm-hmm. we talk pre-show. I love this film so much. You're going <laughs> to love it. it to a level that you're just going to go bonkers. I mean, I have not had this kind of experience with a movie in years. I can't remember the last time I had where I shouted at the screen. You know, at the end, I'm just like, hell yeah. I mean, The Raid was one of the films <laughs> I do that. I still, I'll never forget The Raid screen. I got on my seat and was screaming when he's going up the thing and just <laughs> concludes that film. And that's what this is. It has that same level of engagement with the screen. I love X, but it's going to do well because it's theatrical only. And until we have all films going back to that and you don't have, and also you can't tell people that's going to be streaming in a week and a half too, because then people say, I'll just wait. You need to keep that, you know, cagey with that. Don't, don't say it's coming on HBO max in 45 days. Just say yeah, nothing like we used to. And then all of a sudden, by the way, tomorrow it's going to be on. And that way you have people that if they want to see it, they feel like they have to go to the theaters to see it. And one of the things certainly with film Twitter and, and having discussions like this is that you want to go see the movie first. Like, look, I just told you how great X is. You want to see it. But the only way you can see it is to go to your theater to see and that and then to have the discussion about the film. You have mm-hmm. to go see it then and you want to see it first so you can be in on that first round and that heated discussion about any film. Nice. So I really think that it's really all about theatrical exclusivity if you do not have that you're in trouble that said uh, i think even with just a theatrical exclusive like even focus has done i think more of that than some of these smaller studios um let's say a focus film you're just not going to get those numbers like we did in in let's just go back to 19 i just feel like the world has fundamentally changed you guys know it i know it it's changed i don't think we're ever going back quite to that spot i think we can get closer to it but the number one thing is you have to make it only in theaters. That's have to start there. Do you think studios still value the theatrical experience in this new world where they're making money, more money than they can count with uh, streaming? It's a great question because you look at Turning Red. I mean, Pixar just, uh, they just took the Pixar film and put it at home. They didn't even yeah. put it on a premium. They just said, here it is. They just gave it away for free. And you're like, what are you guys doing? Because mm-hmm. families need something to see at the multiplex right now because Batman... Right. The Batman is not a family movie, okay? Right. And then you have Uncharted <laughs> that is sort of a family movie until, you know, the execution. If you guys seen Uncharted, I'm like, this is sort of a uh, you know, mm. family movie until they literally cut a guy's neck. I'm like, eh, I don't think my kids, <laughs> my young kids would really enjoy that scene. So it's like there's really nothing for kids. And yet we are going to take 
turning red and put it at home. So I don't know what the what these some of these studios think about theatrical. I feel like they are like you're saying, they see what they're making from the streaming. They're like, let's just do that. It's just easier for us. We get all the money versus having to share it with the exhibitor. And that is uh, one of the things. But listen, theatrical is sacred. It's holy. It's our cathedrals. We need this. I need this. I will yeah, never yeah. let it go away. I will always go to a theater to see a movie before watching at home. They send me screeners half the time, and I literally wait. Like they say, you can. we're only going to send you a screener on like a Tuesday for a movie like The Outfit, which I think comes out this week, the focus movie. But mm-hmm. I'm going to go see it at the AMC down the street because I'd rather see it there. If I'm going to watch it, I'll just go see it You know, Monday night uh, over at AMC. I'd rather watch it in the theater. 99 times out of 100. I mean, 100 out of 100. I mean, a theater is always going to be better, short of someone texting in front of you or talking or that kind of crap. Otherwise, it, it better be better because the screen is massively bigger than anything that you have in your house. I don't care what you have. Uh, most of the time, that screen is going to be huge. Like our Dolby Cinema here in Burbank, it is a the screen is literally IMAX size, and then you have all the speakers of the Dolby. It is just you can't beat that experience of taking a movie in. Well, I I think you accomplished it. You 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 hyped me up, and you you pep talked God's me. ears. Amen. Preach. That's preach, the hope. Preach. We can't we Good. can't let it go. We just can't. We just we have to keep it. And I trust me. I hopefully one day I can pivot to a job. I want to go work for Netflix. If they're listening <laughs> right now, Netflix, I will come work for you. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to come in and be your the- theatrical consultant, and I'm literally going to go to AMC and Regal, the big two biggest, and we'll throw Cinemark, but I think they actually do a little bit of this. We're going to say, listen, we're going to give you a 14 day window for mm-hmm. our new movies, like The Adam Project, and and we're going to we'll come up with some deal, whatever the numbers are. Uh, you know, I'm more of an idea guy than a number guy, but. I will we'll come up with something that will work for both of us, and then we can get these films, these these Netflix films, into a theater for an exclusive window that will bring people in to see these things. I know they did it with Power of the Dog but you know for two weeks, but it was only at a few screens. It wasn't at AMC and Regal. You need to get no. those two in. When you get those two in, then you're talking about something. But I really want to work with some of these streamers to literally get it in there, and and I'll even help promote the thing. Let's get this because I think it is the difference that we need. We need these films to still show up in theaters. My fear with that is that that only happens if Netflix is in the business of buying theaters. They pivot to buying more of these like historic theaters mm-hmm. that, like they did in uh, New York and L.A. already. Yep, and, and that's that's. But but they need more than that, right? They need mm. we need more than that. We need AMC. We need uh, Regal and Cinemark. And I know that Amazon did something with uh, being the Ricardos. They they had a little bit more of a theatrical component. I'm not saying it did well, but the point is is just at least get people thinking that they can see that new Netflix movie that everyone's talking about early by going to see the AMC. You're going to make money. I don't know how you don't. Even put it on one screen. Who cares? Sell that one out. You don't need to have it on 10 screens. One screen. Power the dog. In, in one of the better, larger you know screens that you have there. Mm-hmm. And then you get all these people coming in to see it because they want to talk about it first. That's the magic of film Twitter. You don't want to be behind the ball. How many times do you run into someone on film Twitter? They see the movie <laughs> like two days after it opens. I'm so sorry I'm late on this. It's like, dude, you're two days. <laughs> two days. <laughs> like, like even X, right? I saw X on Monday. It's like by the time people start talking about it on Thursday, like, ah, X is old. Let's talk about <laughs> X. That's how we work now. 
no we we totally get that we're we're tardy we're the late kids in class a lot of the times yeah uh, but and in many ways because yeah i don't want to do the screener life we we've tried it we hate it i just i hate and despise it and and we're, we're kind of like you with the amca list etc we want to see the movies with the people too like i love i love this past year because i'm able to see a, a film festival movie you know with a thousand people at alice tully hall and i I do that 20 more times that was like the greatest month of my life since since the pandemic so that we're we're in man but this was this was awesome and we dove into best picture we got a little you know cherry on top of the sunday with the box office so amen brother this was fun and uh really appreciate it uh remind the people what you got coming up uh you talked about awardsace.com you're gonna have your whole new slate and your whole new layout for next year's uh setup but uh you got the you got big things happening with the youtube channel too well just started that and i mean right now i literally was saying i was i was coming back from uh, the west side here on the way over to do this and i said i gotta start with my at least six pages, right? You got to start with best picture, director, actor, actress, supporting, supporting. Mm. I need to come up with at least those six boxes. So I've got to go through every single release here from every major studio. Now that you have the streamers, you got to have Netflix, you got to have Amazon, Apple, I got to go Universal, Warner Brothers, right? Sony, every single one. You got to go through every single studio and I've got to look at their slate and then decide what is a legitimate Oscar contender even the film that's maybe minor but still and throw it up there and that takes time like you got like look i just look at your prep that you did for this it's like insane but that's (laughs) the work you have to do yeah and then then by next year we'll have talked about these films for literally a year like these films that we're talking (laughs) about now i had on awards ace the night of the oscars so you you just you become just so intimately uh, knowledgeable about these films because that's all you do is talk and think about these films and tell them, and, and then finally you see them and then we're still talking about them four months later. So there's that work to do. The YouTube channel's fun. It's just a new way to just get out there and talk about films and, and uh, another audience to reach. And yeah, it's just, for me, it's about spreading the love of film, right? At the end of the day, yeah. it's about putting out there the things that we love and saying, you need to go see this film because that's passion, the passion that you feel, hopefully they can feel. And, you know, I go back to X, which I just saw when you see a film like that and you just connect with it and you're like, Oh my God, this blew me away. Those are the moments you live for and what we do. And when you can do that and get people and engage them and make them go out and go see something and they come back and say, you're right. I love that film. Then that's ultimate. That's what I'm looking for. That's, that's what we're hoping to do. Well, this is one of our favorite conversations every year, and uh, you, we cannot thank you enough for spending part of your day like you always are so gracious to do uh, with us. But as always, what matters, dear listener, to us are your thoughts. What do you think about the best picture race in general? What are your thoughts on any of the hot takes we laid down here? Let us know that as well as any other thoughts, comments, questions, or concerns. You can leave us all of those on our social medias. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Instagram and Facebook, MM and Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. And if you're listening to us on either the Spotify or Apple Podcast app if you appreciate what we do. If you wouldn't mind leaving us a five-star review. And go leave Eric a uh, nice review over on his new YouTube channel Mm -hmm. as well. We all would appreciate that from you. Michael, the words of wisdom, obviously. Follow Eric on all his mediums here and keep up to date with the latest. Are you going to be on? Are you going to have next year's slate up on Oscars night like you did last year, you think, Eric? Uh, Yeah, 100%. As soon as we get Best Picture in, we'll have it up. i got to work on it, uh, but at least get six of the boxes out. The the big six, right? And then, you know, go from there. Usually the next three I add are animated and both screenplays but yeah at least six get people ready to go they already want to talk about it i'm sure people already are talking about it i got to get up on it because we are going to talk about these films for 
one year. So we <laughs> need to be aware of all the films. And like I said, with all these studios now, there's just so much content that it makes it so much harder. Before we only had so many studios. Now you've got all the streamers and you have to really pay attention to all those. Plus the A24s, the Neons, the IFCs. It's a lot of work. So I got to get to it. In fact, I might even start today. <laughs> oh, Mike, tell the good people what's coming next from us. Well, yeah, we'll be referencing uh, awardsace.com for our year in preview series. That'll probably go through the month of April there. We'll probably do like one a week. We're going to spread it out. You guys love that series, so we'll spread it out a little bit. We'll dive deep, dive in deep, and we'll be referencing uh, Eric's work a ton there. Uh, and then, yeah, we're going to we're gonna do our Oscar bets. We're going to do our final preview this coming week, Mike, because it's Oscars week, and we're going to – are we watching it together? I don't even know what we're doing. Eric, how are you watching your Oscars this year? I want to be at home. I, I went to a neon party the last time we had, you know, the real Oscars in 2019, the Parasite. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. But I still like watching it at home. It's just easier, right? You can sit here. You can tweet about it, watch it, do this and that. Uh, and obviously, there's still the COVID restrictions here. So I think even going anywhere near the ceremony is way harder than usual. Uh, so mm-hmm. I'll probably just here, you know, just tweeting and responding and having fun with the broadcast. And let's just hope it moves well and hope it's entertaining and engaging for the average person at home, because ultimately we need these people to watch so we can get people talking about these films again. Yeah. Sounds like a plan, Mike. Yeah. yeah. Uh, guys, when reality sucks, you can come break down the Oscars and the Best Picture Race with us and our friends. Our thanks once again to Eric. Go check out awardsace.com. Uh We will see you all very soon. Is that how I end this, Mike? (laughs) See you guys next time. (laughs)